You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Trailblazers are 3-5 after losing three in a row on the road. Damian Lillard can't hit the broadside of a barn, but I don't really care about that much today because I am joined by my main man, Craig Burnback. You know him as the KATU legend for 12 years. He was all up in everything in Portland and Oregon sports. Then he left. He left us to go work in the real world as a communications director for Evergreen School District, I believe. Anyway, I'm Aaron Fentress. This is the Blazer Focus Podcast. I'm, I'm excited to bring Craig in today because he is, as I said, doing something else outside of sports world, but he's dipping his feet back in in a different way again by working for the Trailblazers as one of their in-studio pregame, halftime, and postgame hosts. Craig, how are you? Thanks for joining me. It's good to see you. It's, it's great talking to you. I'm, I think I, I'm already kind of happy because we, you've talked for a minute and a half and we haven't argued yet. So like <laughs> something's a little wrong maybe, but uh, we'll get back into it. Yes. Yeah. I'm no, over at Evergreen Park working. Schools doing communications. I've uh, been doing that for almost three years now. Uh, I've kept my toe in the water doing some sports stuff. It's still my passion, but I'm super excited to, to be part of the Blazers uh, broadcasting team. Just a small part. Uh but, you know, a part nonetheless. I'm just in it for the ring. I'm just in it for the ring. <laughs> wait, wait. Do you get a ring if they win a title? I, 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 I would give me a ring. No, but I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> I've got a better chance than you of getting a ring. I'd say oh, that. Oh, yeah. It's definitely. <laughs> definitely. Actually, there was. I was talking to someone recently who worked for a team, and they said they didn't get a ring. Who was it? I got to think about that because I was surprised they didn't get one. But I think if you do anything for a team, no matter what it is, you should get a ring if they win it. I, I'm all for that. I'm going to surprise you. I have a, I have an NCAA basketball tournament ring. And people don't know that because they look at me and they do the face. You can't see Aaron's face right now, but he's like, I've seen you. Uh, I Even if you, you have got handles, jumper, though, I do have handles, you got handles and, and a jumper. And back in the day, I could shoot. But no, I uh, uh, 1993 University of Rhode Island. I was the manager on that team. And we went to the okay. NCAA tournament, and uh, the uh, and I, you know, one cool thing about being a manager, especially with Al Skinner, was my coach, former NBA basketball player, he treated us all just like players. Uh, I thought I wanted to be a coach at that time. It helped me a lot. Realize that I knew a lot about basketball, but being a coach was probably not going to be a road that I was willing to travel. The all encompassed there, but. Uh, yeah, so we went to the tournament. We beat Glenn Robinson and Purdue in round one. Mm. And then we took on the University of North Carolina, 93. Look it up. They won it. 
So we could have come in second. We didn't, but uh, we were you know, <laughs> ranked in the top 25. Great experience. That was the win over Michigan with the Chris Webber timeout. Yeah, exactly. And they had uh, our starting center was my roommate, uh, the great Mike Moten. We listed him at 6'8", maybe. Uh, and they had uh, Serge Zwicker. You remember Serge Zwicker? 7'2". Oh, yeah. I was, um, they redshirted and they had Montrose, him. didn't they? Yo, was oh no, that's what I'm right saying. There? They redshirted oh. the guy who was seven like four. Oh, oh, gotcha. gotcha because yeah, yeah. they had Salvadori, Montrose, Matt Wenstrom, who played in the NBA, was a bench warmer on that team. They had so <laughs> much size. It was uh yeah, we didn't want to play Stanford or North Carolina because Stanford had the Collins twins. And we got North Carolina okay. in North Carolina. Winston Salem. Right, so well, cool. didn't go well. But no, you didn't you didn't ask for that. But I do, I got a big I've got a huge ring. I never wear it because I don't have huge hands and it looks silly. <laughs> you probably look like you're about to go collect some money from someone with that big ass <laughs> ring on your finger. You about to punch them in the face with that ring and they don't pay up, right? The old New York, New Jersey comes out of me, you know, threatened. <laughs> this is my face punching ring. Okay. So you left KTU right when your son Isaac was born because working at a TV station, doing what you were doing, working nights, basically three to 11 or three to midnight. Right. And covering all these sports is not very uh, conducive to being a good parent. Yeah. <laughs> or I, a present parent, I should say. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, no, I think you could still do it. I have my reasons for, for looking. I don't think we need to get in that. I made a life decision oh, okay. um, that I thought was uh, right for my family. And I think it still is. Um, I'm actually in a broadcasting role. I mean, you're seeing me, you see, like, I'm in like a, I'm using like a fancy mic for this and stuff. We have a studio. <laughs> so I'm able to still do broadcasting stuff here at Evergreen Public Schools. Um, so I keep those skills going and it, it helps me in that role. Uh, but yeah, with the way I think that I just saw, uh, I needed, I'm just going to be honest here. I had to work for 20 more years because my son was zero at that time when my contract was up. <laughs> and I thought about right. it and I looked at the the overall media outlook. Landscape, yeah. I said, can I guarantee 20 years in this job if I, even if I do it as well as I possibly can? And I was like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> so That's what we all think in this industry these days. Right. So that's kind of, I made a decision. Every last one of us. Was, you know, I, I said, and now I'm able to kind of do both. So it's really worked out. Okay. Speaking of doing both, you've been doing some Fox Sports high school stuff, right? And yep. then you filled in some, on some Timbers. You're doing that. Yeah. But now you're going to dive in with the Blazers. How, tell, tell, tell everyone how that came about. Cause I, I was, I, I just written about what they were doing with Brick and, and Holton and then Neil Everett, you know, jumping in. And then, like, the next day, and I, I think I asked several people, okay, what are they going to do about the other games Neil isn't going to do? And you then the next that. day. You wrote it in a yeah. tweet. You're like, I don't know what they're going to do. That's what you wrote. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I see, bam, Bernbach and, uh, and Jamie. I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> that's interesting. So tell me how that came about. Uh, I answered the phone. You know, that's kind of how it happened. <laughs> oh, they you called know? you? Like, it rang. They called you? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Was, uh, uh, I've You know, I've had a Jeff Curtin. Dan Hyatt, Jeff Curtin, who's the head of Blazers Broadcasting, Dan Hyatt, who's the producer mm -hmm. of the broadcasts. Um, you know, it's not I, not like I didn't know them. I actually played softball with Dan Hyatt, so that probably helped because they didn't forget <laughs> about me, you know. And I played short and he played third, so I saved him a few times. Maybe that was uh, Oh, that was wow. Uh, he got his back. <laughs> uh, yeah, the I mean, they had, they had reached out and just kind of said, hey, uh, would you? is this something you're interested in? And, and I said, yeah. 
um, definitely let me check with uh, my wife and my bosses, you know, at my full-time job and, and see how this works. And, um, and then like everything you hear nothing, right. You know, like <laughs> then mm. I didn't hear anything for a while. And then I got, um, you know, periodically they check in. Uh, I did a court side. They asked me to fill in in the summer to do a trailblazers court side, which was nice. Uh, first time I'd ever been in that studio and did that with Orlando Williams. And then a few months later, I think right after probably they um, had something with Neil, they knew that they were going to need some other people. And, um, and yeah, I said, sure, I'd be interested in it. And then they came back and kind of said, so we're thinking of going with like four hosts, you know, Brooke Oseldan, the great <laughs> Brooke will be doing the uh, home games and they threw the Neil Everett name. And of course I was like, Whoa, Neil Everett. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a good get. And, uh, Jamie and I to do, um, you know, 10 to 15 games each depending on schedule. So I said, yeah, let's, let's go. I mean, you're, you're, you're no stranger to the Blazers. Like yeah. you're clearly hundred percent qualified to jump in and talk about the Blazers. So is this something that I'm worried about the second part of this question now that you, that you no, said no, no, nice. no. I'm just saying like, <laughs> Like it's like, no, I'm just thinking about, cause in my, in my experience as a journalist, I've been like, okay, Aaron, you go cover that. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I remember the first time I covered UAP women's soccer, I literally called up a website explaining the dimensions and what the box was because <laughs> someone scored a goal from the right side of the penalty box. And I didn't know what to call it. Right. But with you jumping in to do, I mean, you've obviously done TV, so you've done studio work and you've covered the Blazers as much as anything you've covered while you were at KETU. So is this for you is going to be like, just jumping back in the pool as an Olympic swimmer, right? I like that. I'm not a strong swimmer. You know, I'll admit that. I, I, I wouldn't Neither do that I, comparison. Man. I would uh, uh, I would not. I can live in a pool, but not in a large body of water. I will die. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I'm very, I'm nervous about it. My first game is next Wednesday. Um, just because um, I did go shadow Brooke. Because um, I, as a quote unquote media member covering the team, you know how it is. There's Blazers broadcasting. There's that, there's like that door. And, you know, we're not, we're not allowed back in that door because you need a different pass for that door. So I'd only been back there like yeah, funny. twice to like, I think I interviewed Brooke once or something like that. And then I did courtside. Uh, uh, and, but all I did was go to the studio. Like they were like, you know, they weren't okay. trying to keep me out of it, but there was nobody in the other stuff. And, you know, snooping's right. not nice. So, um, yeah. So I, ha I wanted to see how everything, went about and I was super impressed um, so a lot of people making that happen and having to be really good at their jobs you know for instance you've done TV Aaron enough to know there's prompter mm -hmm. you know sometimes it's a nice little thing you got the, the words in front of you they 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 go no prompter you know this stuff is kind of free-flowing and um, you have to be prepared they do they tell you where you're gonna have to write and go uh, but because the, you're really talking about like at halftime and post game, hard to predict, you know. So you have to be just ready to react and, um, and you know, be a partner with whoever's on the desk with you. So I I love that stuff. So I'm excited for that. And it's something I hadn't done. I I've done coaches shows which are similar to this, um, in the sense that you kind of come in, um, and you have a basic rundown, but you make it happen, and you're dealing with an expert on your you know on your right. Uh, so that'll be similar with whether I'm working with Michael Holt or Orlando Williams, both experts, obviously much better basketball players earn. They earn their rings on the court, not with a clipboard. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm excited about it and nervous as heck. 
Nervous? Come on. Oh, come on. I'm not like you. Got you this. you I got this. I don't you got have this. I don't have that ultimate confidence of everything. You know, like <laughs> I, people always say, "Are you nervous?" I'm like, "Do you, know, Aaron? You know me. I'm nervous about everything. I'm nervous about crossing the street. You know, like I got a four year old. I can't. If I weren't bald already, I would have no hair with the, how nervous I get." <laughs> All right, well, someone else who's nervous is the the Blazers fan base right now, I think, is a little nervous because right. they've watched this team get out to a solid start, three and two. I mean, the Clippers, the first Clippers beating, you know, we can Not just solid. throw that aside. That was just one of those nights, right? But then they beat the, the Grizzlies at home. They looked good. They beat the Clippers. They looked good. Then they go on the road. And I, I was thinking minimum two wins on this three-game trip to Charlotte, Philly, and – uh uh, Cleveland with Philly being the probable loss until Embiid and Tobias Harris don't play. And then they go out there and basically just get thumped by a bunch of dudes. I had to look up. <laughs> like I was literally watching the game, like going on basketball reference going, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Why is he dropping 20 off the bench? I can't even remember the guy's name now. Uh, but your take. Okay. Before I, before I ask you your take, Blazers fans chill. Like I see some yes. people out there. Oh, this isn't working out. The defense still sucks. They shouldn't have hired Bill Ups. I was kind of garbage. The bottom line is the number one issue by far is that your best player is a complete negative right now. <laughs> like, and I'm, trying, I'm not saying to be mean or yeah. be a hater. Or I'm just, it's just a mathematical fact. Listen to this. Listen to these stats. On this trip, he shot 32.8% from the field and 20% on threes. The rest of the team shot 52% from the field and 38.8% on threes. So if your main guy who's going to shoot the most, who you're relying on to be your star, your top 10, top 15 player in the league, is not only just like if you were average, that'd be fine because you still be like, well, he's not playing great, but he's average. He's below average. He's benchable. Like if you were not Damian Lillard, no, I'm serious. If you were a rookie, if you were a hotshot rookie coming out and playing this way, you would reduce his minutes and reduce his, his time. He'd be one of those rookies who come out. You see their stat line as a rookie, even like a Steph Curry. You look at their stat line. They're not they're not playing that much. So he's, but he's still playing because he's Lillard and he's giving you complete negativity. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't be playing him because you want him to shoot his way out of it. Because you're not Lillard. stupid. You're not bench him. <laughs> right, right. But my point is, is that at the end of the day, that is the number one reason why they're three and five and not five and three. Do you disagree? I, 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 all your points are somewhat accurate. I would say they're somewhat. No, I'm just saying you. like Damian Lillard. He cancel does, the show. No, go ahead. But I mean, he on the court, his misses, he's still being double teamed. He's still, people are still having to change. They're still game planning around him. I mean, and I mean, sometimes they're double teamed. I think sometimes you're just letting them shoot because they, well, right, they can't hit anything. Somewhat. But I'm just saying, like, he's, you know, he's still driving and dishing. He's not a rookie that's never played the game before who's not getting there, right. wouldn't get any attention until he proved it. You're still not leaving Damian Lillard wide open. You know, he got a step back three that was a pretty good look, but he, you know, it wasn't uncovered and he missed it when he usually makes it. 100% agree. Damian Lillard, just listen to what he says. He, he said, we didn't win. He says it himself. We didn't win last night at Cleveland because I didn't play. Well, if I played well, we win. Yeah. And I, there's exactly. no doubt that's true. So of right. the things to worry about, as I said, I'm a worrier. <laughs> I'm not worried about Damian Lillard. Like, long term it's weird he's not i don't know it's so weird that the 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 changes in officiating and the change in the basketball to wilson somehow the whole world has decided like 
that's the excuse. But but he's not the only one struggling. It's kind of strange. You look out. I mean, Harden struggled for a while. He's gotten it back together. But there's other guys who can't suddenly can't shoot that we know that can shoot. Scoring across the entire league yes. is down. It's crazy. Which yeah. is, it, you know, I get the officiating changes because you're not giving away you know free free throws for guys just you know pulling the emergency break up in the middle of the lane but (laughs) but damian lillard does not shoot 20 percent from three and it's he's not a rookie he's not in his first year he's not in his fifth year he's not coming off a serious injury he's just not shooting well right now but he didn't go from one of the top 10 to 15 players on the planet to crap you know, like it's just not, that's <laughs> exactly. just not true. So right. yeah, no, he'll, he'll, he'll be better. Um, and then look, the defense, I love, I love Chauncey after games because he, he just says it, you know, they lost to Philly. I mean, when they lost to the Clippers, I don't have to worry about what I'm going to say right now. Cause he said, it's embarrassing. He said right. it last night. If you're going to play on the ball, <laughs> And you got you can't let the guy get by you on one you dribble. Go right by you, you can't in do one it. Move, like I would do you. You can't do it. Which is kind of what happened back when Terry <laughs> tried this, and he said, "Okay, let's let's go back to what we were doing because yeah. I at least know yeah. what our results are." Now Chauncey's gonna he's gonna he's not gonna quit on it. He's gonna go through the wall on it. And I don't blame. I I like Terry Stotts as a coach. I liked him as a player's coach. He his nine year resume is really good, but at some point in time. You got to try something different because the results were what they were. Pretty good basketball team. And at times, good. I mean, when things broke the right way and Damian did some incredible things, they went to the Western Conference Finals. You know what I mean? So, but when you change schemes and also bring in new rotations and new responsibilities, mm-hmm. even for players that were on the team, I mean, Norman Powell was there last year, but towards the end of the year, under a different coaching, you know, crew you now got a guy and he's been in and out of the lineup so i think damien is and he said it he's trying at times not to do damien lillard take over things you know what i mean like and just say Mm -hmm. now that said when you miss your first logo three you don't take the second logo three (laughs) you know what i mean that's just damien's not the guy that you know he so for him to uh not hit those shots is disrupting his overall game and with all the changes. But yes, I do think 10 games is not a time to, to flip the panic switch and say, none of this is working um, because yeah. that's just, even, even if Damien was Damien, they would have had some issues at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. You okay. Yeah, I don't know. The lights went so on that, in my okay. studio here. There were there's other people that work here, Aaron. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Get, it's crazy. <laughs> they're trying to they're trying to send a message to you. They're trying to turn out the lights on you. Um, so no, you, honestly, no, I, you want to know I mean, what like, it is? I will tell you. It's crazy. We are in a new building, and we have sensors. So if no one like moves around to save oh, okay. taxpayer money, we're thinking about you. The lights go down. Oh. So even though I'm waving around like a crazy person with my hands. At my height, at my height, they don't they don't read me as a human. <laughs> so okay, so we obviously no one's going to sit here and say that Damian Lillard is going to finish this way. That would be that would be shocking in a, in a story unto itself. Um, you know, he's going to pick it up at some point. All right, so clearly, you know, we agree Damian Lillard is not going to finish the season as one of the worst shooters in the NBA. That's not going to happen. He's going to figure it out. Had this happened in the middle of the season, he would have had two months of great play to right. like sort of buffer the stats. And then we've been just talking about. A, t- a typical slump, which people have, even though this is probably the worst of his career. But 
I'm not going to worry about him until we get to maybe 15, 20 games. Uh, but as far as the team overall, as you talked about, you know, there's a lot of new, a newness going on. A lot of things they're trying to do differently, especially on defense and on offense. I actually believe that there's a lot of progress being made defensively. Like some people were talking about the defense on this trip and it wasn't good. The defensive rating was 121 on this trip. They left top 10 in defensive rating and they come back 20th. Um, but the defensive rating is still better than it was last year. I'm not sure, though, how much that is improvement. I think it's some improvement, but it's also because the rest of the league isn't scoring like they were last year. Like right now, they're 108 defensive rating. Last year, they finished 115. Part of that is them. Part of that is the league. Uh, but at the end of the day, you can definitely see there's more effort. And guys are talking about there's more effort and there's more accountability. Billups is bringing up things on video and showing people you can't do this, you can't do that. And they're going out and working on it on practice in practice. Do you believe, though, that the players on this team are capable with what they have of really elevating this defense? Because regardless of effort or scheme, Dame has never really proven to be a plus defender. Neither has McCollum. Powell has. Covington has. Nurkic is so unreliable in so many different ways. Then you got Ant playing a lot. Nasir clearly can be a good defender. But do you think the pieces are here to be a top 10 defensive team? A top 10 defensive team? Top 10. No, probably What's your not. ceiling for them? What's your ceiling for them? You yeah, think? I think, I mean, really, if they play, if they're in a top 15 or, you, you know, and their offense goes the way it's gone in the in the past, they're going to be a, a really, really good basketball team. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, top 10, that, yeah, we could count through it, and it also depends on where what the health is of other teams. But, you know, there's some elite right. teams, and there's some coaches, you know, that this is their M.O. to win. <clears throat> the Blazers' M.O. to win with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum is never going to be the, you know, the old-school Detroit Pistons. You know, I mean, that's just not going to be it. <laughs> right. So, right. and I think Chauncey knows that. He, he didn't take over a team thinking that he was going to make C.J. Joe Dumars. Right. I mean, he CJ scores like him, but, you know, I mean, he wasn't going to turn him into a guy that could guard the best guard no matter what. He was going to turn them into a team that doesn't just give it up. You know, what I mean, just say, hey, we're going to give up 115. We got to score 120 because in the regular season that works in the NBA. But but we know against really good teams and in the playoffs when things tighten up and you can't get 120 because you're you shoot. Players just don't – it's different in the playoffs. For You've yeah. got to be able to lock people up a little bit. And I think that's what Chauncey came in to say, and Damian has bought in, and CJ, you know, seem, has bought in. And they're going to have to play – like, Nurkic is key, man. I mean, there's just no way around it. You said the inconsistency of it. Nurkic has the ability to be a really plus defender and to be an inside presence that causes problems. But – he doesn't always deliver that, you know, and I do think that the Blazers, as constructed right now, if Yusuf Nurkic is not a plus player on both sides of the court at that position, it's going to be hard for them to rise into the upper echelon. I mean, I do not disagree. They need bubble Nurk. I keep calling it bubble Nurk. Bubble Nurk was the best Nurk we've ever seen. <clears throat> that guy was on fire at the bubble. Like he was killing it. And I was hoping to see that last year, and we didn't for a variety of reasons. He came out of shape for personal reasons, and then, you know, he had the broken uh, wrist, which was a, a fluke injury. 
And I was hoping to see Bubble Nurkis this year. He's happy about the system that Chauncey is running, which is allowing him to have more freedom and have more touches and have the ball and pass more and be, you know, more of a uh, an important piece within the offense. But we just haven't seen the production yet. I asked Chauncey last night. I said, you know, two nights in a row, Drummond had a big game. Jared Allen had a huge game, 24 and 17 last night. And, you know, on the other end, you're not getting the same prediction production from your big guy. He said that a lot of the stuff that went on defensively was not on NERG type of offense they were running, leading to certain certain shots. And that's probably true. But at the same time, if it's not all on NERG, it's for not defending and they're playing team defense, does it hurt you not getting the production on the other end? But again, to, to be fair to NERG, he's not getting the shots. <laughs> you know, he's not getting the shot attempts either uh, at that end. So, but the bottom line is that center versus center, you're getting beaten statistically. And then your top guard, is killing you. That's tough to overcome mathematically in any situation. Yeah, that's why the three and five right now. You know, what I mean, like that's. <laughs> exactly. you know, I don't think we're we're not that smart, <laughs> right? I mean, I, like we haven't we right. haven't discovered a, a, how to you know ch- turn <laughs> aluminum into gold. This, you know, we just you look at no, it. No, I cracked the code. I cracked the code. No one else saw it. No one else knows it but me. I'm special. Yeah, and I, uh, that, so the Nurkic the Nurkic thing sometimes I I, I believe gets overlooked. Of the fact that he's that, especially when they bring in like a Powell, and now they say that's their third piece. But I mean, we remember when they brought in Nurk and he was doing thirty and twenty, you know, sudden and and he was in, you know, twenty one, twenty two years old. Or it was like, oh my goodness, what could this this could be the third piece? And right. you know, I think that there's the ability he <clears throat> he has the ability. You've seen it in the, and you saw it post major leg injury in the bubble. You know what I mean? So you can't say that it was just that, though that has to be a right. factor in your athleticism. I mean, he's a huge, you know, you're that big. You weigh, you're seven feet, 275. Those legs, I mean, that's that's hard. You know, we've seen that. Yao Ming, you know, couldn't play a long career because his legs, which were the largest human legs, I like he had calves like towns <laughs> in New Jersey. I mean, they were that big and he still couldn't, you know, sustain that. Hell, so, but I think Nurkic uh, getting more comfortable in the system and Chauncey figuring out how best to keep him motivated because you can act like happy Nurk and not happy Nurk are the same Nurk, but that's just not true. You know what I mean? Like, right. we know oh, that yeah. Nurk is an emotional player, so getting him me, more, more aggressive would, would change this team's identity. Absolutely. Okay, so they come back home, Indiana, uh, Friday night, and then the Lakers Saturday. What's what's sort of your game benchmark for giving a team time to sort of figure things out and show who they are before it's time to be a little bit more critical? Because I I admit, the, the Philadelphia loss to me was like, I just could not believe they lost that game. And then they lose again to Cleveland. But both nights, like, Billis was kind of matter of fact about everything. And I'm, I'm thinking about, where's the rage? <laughs> like, why are you and, and, and I asked Dan, you know, like, is this just part of the growing pains you guys talked about? And he said, I think it was to my question. I can't remember if he said this to my question or someone else's, but he said, look, I can't. Yeah, because I brought up at the beginning of the season, everyone talking about growing pains. He said, I can't say there's going to be growing pains. And then when there's growing pains, complain that there are growing pains, Right. So basically saying that they pretty much felt like there were going to be some issues for a while as they figured things out. Therefore, for them, when they go out and lose like this, it's like, yeah, this sucks. This We don't like this. We're frustrated. But we kind of felt like they were going to be nice like this. 
Whereas for me, I saw them play against Memphis. I saw them play against Clippers. How come they're not doing that every night? And that's just not how the NBA works. So for you, how many games would you are you going to give this team before maybe you view them with a little more critical eye? I mean, I think you got to go twenty twenty five. You know, in that range to yeah. see where you are record wise. But you know, you just said all that. But the truth of the matter is, if you're Chauncey Billups, you came in. You win that game if Damian Lillard's Damian Lillard. Like, it's not even close, you know? That's the other part of it where I think they're not upset. Well, I mean, like, yeah. he, he he still scored, you know, 26, but he would have, right. in a normal Damian Lillard, with the shots he took, he would have got 40. And you would have won by eight. <laughs> you know, and you have right. been like, right. cool. 100%. And so, like, losing to Cleveland there, and he missed the shot at the end that he makes to tie to send us to overtime where he takes over and scores the first eight. You know, like that's just the right. – that is the NBA. When it, the NBA is this. If you have one of the best players in the world on your team and they stink, you're probably going to lose that game more times than you're going <laughs> right. to win it. You know what I'm saying? 100%. Like that's that's yeah. the NBA. Like you can't – if Kevin Durant, you know, goes one for, you know, ten – and James Harden doesn't have 60, the Nets will lose, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and and CJ didn't have one of those, he didn't score 50, so they lost. Yeah. So, to me, I don't <clears throat> worry, I worry about the fact that uh, there are, there seems to be something every time to say, okay, that's what it is, but I don't worry about anything individually yet because I really see there are stinkers in the NBA, we all know it. Teams are going to have stinkers, and it happens a lot when the best players are out, you know, we, they're blazer legends, you know, Jake Lehman's a legend because he played, he started when guys stunk, you know, I don't mean a legend, but you know what I mean? Like we know that because some guys step up in those moments and a lot of it has to do with to be a, at this level, at the NBA level or the NFL level, you have to be so good that even a little letdown, like when you go, Oh, they don't have MB, you know, B we're going to, no, Tobias Harris. Well, how we, we don't have to be at our top, and then to make the NBA, you got to be so good that psh, these guys get the opportunity and they have a they have a day because everyone leaves them open, and then it's too late. You're like, yep. oh, he got 18. Crap, you know, we're down. That's, uh, that's but, what Chauncey was saying. Yeah, and yeah, I think like, I think what you say. I don't think Chauncey's ever going to be a, a yeller, you know, after a game because he's a player, and players know that. You know, that's not going to motivate Damian Lillard. You know, think if Chauncey went out and said, we, you know, screamed. Damian Lillard look at that and be like, come on, man. So Chauncey, but what he said after the game is pretty blunt. You know, like, hey, we can't let guys go one dribble past us. That's as blunt as you get as a coach to your players. They they know know who he's he's talking about. He's basically saying y'all are getting smoked, (laughs) right? So to me, that's a really blunt coach because Terry wouldn't be that blunt. He would be more protective of the players right. and say, well, our, you know, our, you know, individually, our defenses need to be better. But as a group, you know, all the right things for a coach. Chauncey, we working on rotations and our communication. I don't know how many times I heard that. Right. But you know what? It doesn't matter what he says to us to win. All that matters is what the guys in the locker room, what they hear and what they do next time. And Chauncey, yeah. he might not have screamed, but after they lost to the Clippers in that, that game, he said, that was embarrassing. You know, like that's pretty <laughs> – right. That's not, that's not being soft, you know. And then at, when you say, "I don't want us to be a counterpunching team," like that's not what we 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 got to go out and knock some people out. Basically, saying we got to play better in the beginning. 
that's pretty blunt to your players that are professionals and you're not looking at a lot of, you know, this team's not full of 19 year olds that are suddenly pros and don't know how to listen to a pro coach, you know, Norm Powell, CJ, you know, Damien, even, you know, Nurk, even Ant, who's, you know, he's been in the league like 22 years and he's 23, you know, 22 <laughs> years old. You know I mean? Like he's, it's not his first like the kid did go to college, so he doesn't even have what the college coach does. He knows what pro coaches say, and he knows that's blunt. So I, I think that I've been really impressed with, you know, Chauncey's bluntness after games. You know, what happens is eventually if the message isn't heard, then you in your position says, well, you keep saying this, but what, you know, when are we going to see it? But after right. 10 games, you don't, you can't evaluate the, you know, the meal yet. They're just still cooking. Right. You are listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. I did bring it up a little bit after the Philly game. Because I said, you know, with all the talk of, you know, accountability and effort and all that kind of stuff, like this is almost an inexcusable loss and he you know he, he agreed but then you know said again you know we're still working through things and you know i just wanted to sort of raise the issue because one one of the things i can't stand from covering sports all these years is when people talk i'll never forget dennis dixon i think it was 2006 he kept saying when they were struggling the year before he was a heisman contender they kept struggling he was playing poorly and he kept saying after almost every time they lost a the game he kept saying we just didn't match their urgency and i'm just like and then I remember I covered PSU. I used to hear that crap. And I it just, it's like, you can't not match. You play once a week in, the, in college football. How do you not match someone's urgency? So when I hear a team like last year, it was almost every time we're working on a communication, we're working on this, we're working on that. And I was like, after 10 games, after 20, 40, 50, 60 games, they were saying the same thing. It's like, okay, how is this still going on? So I'm just sort of like watching this team to sort of see when we're going to stop hearing the excuse of effort or you know, matching this or matching that. To me, it's like everyone knows what's at stake here. Everyone knows that this coaching change was made to instill a sense of uh, urgency and effort and accountability on defense. So how are we having any games ever where that's an issue? Like that just bugs the hell out of me. Yeah, I would say that I don't think defense in the NBA, yes, there's effort. You know what I mean? Like if you don't play hard, you can't guard anybody. But I think that training camps in the NBA, it's kind of wild. They're, they play such a long season. And compared to like baseball, they play like 40 games in spring training in baseball. And they practice. Sometimes they play two in a day. And right. in basketball, they hit camp. They play three games. And then, boom, they're playing the season. So to institute, and yes, they work on it and practice and everything. But it isn't the same. So, and in the NBA, as in basketball in general, as you well know, there is practice and there is the games. We've all seen gym players. We know that, Ant, you know, Anthony Simons is killing it in the gym from like day one because Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum would say, oh my gosh, in practice. But I, you have learning new defenses. You know, it's not just the effort. It is stop when you stop thinking about it you know that you're no longer mm -hmm. thinking and you're just doing so i think early on there's still some thinking and not doing because 
they've played in the same system for nine years. You know, that's a long time to drop below a screen and then go, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to do that anymore. Like, I got to go. I got to go through this. This is going to hurt. You know, like and, and but your brain has done something for so long. Um, and all it takes is a little bit of hesitation and, and it's over in the NBA. It's so yeah. great point. Yeah. So I, I just think that <clears throat> that I, I always say at the pro level, I don't really buy into effort as you know consistently. There's a game or two where people lay eggs. You know what I mean? Like in the NFL, right. you can't lay any eggs because you only play once a week. In the NBA and baseball and uh, in hockey, like you can because you you might you're on three and four nights or four and six nights and you're just mentally exhausted and you can't get there. Right. But if you don't play hard in the NBA, you have to be so dang good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so dang good to be to be to stay in the league or be really good. Like people talk about James Harden because it looks like he doesn't try at all. What Mm -hmm. he does on one end of the floor takes more effort than most people do in their lifetime at a job. You know what I mean? Like he, he didn't, James Harden didn't just get that way because he was so talented. Let's not forget he won even a lottery pick. So um, yeah, I just think at the effort level, you go to practices you see how hard these guys work and how good they are. They don't last lots actually anymore. That's right. But back you have you know yeah. Back, yeah. I mean we back in the yeah. day when you used to go to practices, you'd go see like big men, they hit like sixty percent of threes when nobody guards them because they're that good. <laughs> you know, like Shaq right. couldn't hit a free throw, but I bet you if we got to go to his practices, he could hit threes. They're just really I remember twenty I remember twenty something years ago when Dan Marley was with the Suns, I went to a Blazers game. And I was there early enough to watch them shooting. Uh, shooting. I might have been helping cover the game, and Dan Marley was just shooting around. He's in the corner, shooting threes like they were like they were layups. Right. <clears throat> it was crazy, and I was just like, "Oh my god, they're really <laughs> like, good." Is at he this ever game. gonna miss? Is he ever gonna miss? You know, and in the game he shot, you know, thirty-seven percent right. or whatever. But right with no one on him, just hanging out, he made like twenty-five in a row, like it was nothing. They are so good when no <laughs> one's so on them. You know, like it's it, such it's a crazy. different world. It is crazy. Um, okay, just real quick. I wrote about this a little bit when Dame got off to the initial start, but just to put things in perspective, like I'm looking at his game log from last year, and like here's a stretch where he went five of 20, well, excuse me, seven of 36 over four games from three-point range, which is like 19%. And there's another stretch where he went seven of 25, and that was a couple games after that stretch. So this is not necessarily yeah. unprecedented. The difference was he was shooting better from two-point range during that stretch, whereas this time the two-pointers aren't going that well either. But he's been there before. Everyone's been there before. He's going to snap out of it. It's just magnified because he doesn't have 25 games behind him before he went into the slump. Now, you mentioned Anthony Simons, named after Anthony Hardaway, yeah. by the way. Uh, no penny. I'm a bit – listen, I'm, a, I'm an objective journalist. I pride myself on being objective. But I'm 100% unobjective, unobjective when it comes to Ant because I hitched my wagon to Ant on draft night. I was at NBC Sports Northwest, and m- many people in the building were freaking out when they took him because everyone's thinking they need wing help. They need a wing. They need a wing. They need a wing. And they go and they take a guard, a small guard, which is like when you look at the roster, it's like the last thing you need is a and small one that guard wasn't and the cheapest play. players. And one, right, and one of those is going to be a project. But my stance at the time on every show I did there, and every time I had a debate about it, whether it was with Chad doing on radio or on the on the TV shows or whatever, talking about what have you, was that essentially they traded the 24th pick in that draft 
for a lottery pick the next year. Because had Simons gone and played at Louisville, he probably would have been a lottery pick. And that, yes, it was a project, but whoever whoever they would have taken it in that 20 range, which if you go look at that the picks 20 through 30 that year, there's not one player, I, I, half of them aren't even in the league, and there's not one player in that area that's anywhere near as talented as this kid. Um, but anyway, so I've been like jocking him forever. And he's had, you know, it took some time for him to sort of get to where he's gotten to. But now that Billups is allow, is giving him the freedom, one, to play more point guard and two, to attack the basket, which is something Stotts did not give him. Because I was told numerous times that Stotts' thing with Simons was you're playing because of your three point prowess and we're trying to shoot a ton of threes. If you got the, you got the three is open, you shoot it, which is the same thing Trent was doing. But now Simons is attacking and demonstrating his ability to get to, blow by people, his athleticism, the way he gets up in the air, the variety of shots he can hit. I'm just like, I think he, I think he's going to be a star. My floor for him is CJ, a more athletic version of CJ. That's my floor. Um, if you were on another team that needed a starting guard, he'd be averaging 20 plus right now. Not even, I mean, you're averaging like 14 or 15 right now as a backup. What's your take on him and his development? And don't make me mad or I'll pull the plug. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Look, I 100% think that you have to take risks in the draft. And you have to get, if you're a, a, a quote-unquote smaller market, you got to get a little lucky. You know what I mean? Like, because yep. every t- like people talk about powerhouses and this and that. and But when you look at teams, now, Golden State's different now because suddenly they're a big market. But pre-Steph, we didn't consider them a big market. They were in Oakland and They're they were struggling yeah. and they went and the people in San Francisco didn't care about them. <laughs> right. And now it's different because of what they did. Draymond second right. round pick clay, not a, not a top five, not a top 10. And even Steph, people were like, I covered Steph in college at Davidson. Uh, I covered the Southern conference. Mm. That dude, when he was a freshman was like, looked like he was 10. <laughs> I mean, he was, there's he a the reason why on the court. Davidson, Virginia tech, his father's college barely – I don't even think they offered him. There's a reason why he had ended up at Davidson. And so when right. and when they drafted him, people questioned whether or not that guy could ever play in the NBA at his size. Right. So, Isn't that I mean, crazy? You, Draymond Green, they don't win championships without a second-round pick that they got lucky on in a way. Yeah. And then there, you, you can go you know, down and look at it that way and say, oh, like you got a little lucky here. I mean, Dirk wasn't a – you know, he's a high pick, but not number one. Like, y- you got to get a little lucky. And so I think with Anthony, that's that's what, to me, it was worth rolling the dice. Like, hey, in five years, mm-hmm. if we get a guy who's at an all-star level, now what? You know what I'm saying? And na- But now we are at the place. So last year, I thought he it was kind of like, show it to me. And he showed it signs he could shoot. But he didn't get right. to to kind of give us the whole thing, and I was a little disappointed with how that worked out when he did have some opportunities. But I think that he will have his chance now with this coaching staff to kind of prove oh, yeah. you right. And if he can, I mean, my worry is if he gets to a point where he is, you know, that good, there isn't a ton of room. You got three guards, you know, basically already. A fourth guard. They played four guards last night. Like, that's crazy, been, the NBA. They, they, did, they did that against Philly, too. I mean, that's crazy. Like, you can't. I know. You, this isn't the, Did you hear what Billups said last night? He said, we weren't stopping we're him stopping anyway. anyway. So I might as well yeah. put four guards out there and maybe create some offense. And, and, and good for him, <laughs> you know, in a way. But I, that's my worry. I, I do think that his potential, and it is 
somewhat mindset, you know, like for him, uh, it's hard coming into a league when you're a teenager and on the, you know, closer to 17 than you are to 20. So um, to learn the way he's had to learn mostly in practice, uh, but he's shown, you know, great character. He's shown that, I, look, he shoots better than I thought. Like, I didn't know that guy was going to be a three-point specialist. We heard about his athleticism. You know, not surprised he won a slam dunk contest. I'm surprised that last year he was a, you know, a three-point. That was it. Like, that was his thing. 42.6. Crazy, right? And that was after after going 34 and 33 in the two previous seasons. I, I just worry about where that That's fit evolution. is. And then, and then what do you do? You know, if he, you know, it's a good problem to have. Don't get me wrong. To have yeah. a guy that uh, I just think they're scoring in the NBA. People always look at that number, but I always come from, uh, you know, the coach's philosophy. Like we're going to score a hundred. So somebody's going to get 20. You know what I mean? Two right. guys are going to get 20, like on even the worst right. teams. And we had, look, I, I've been a Nick fan for a long time. I saw a lot of guys average like 20 God. and stink. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, it doesn't, Will Barton's going to score 20. I knew that if you play right. him 35 minutes in a game, if he stays healthy and he plays 35 minutes over 60 games, Will Barton will score 20 points a game because if, if it's, if he's in that role, because these guys are super talented. I completely agree. If CJ went down, knock on everything, and he had to start 30 games, I'd be shocked if he didn't average above 17, between 17 and 22. You know what I mean? Like with playing 28 to 32 minutes because the guy can score. Uh, but at the same time, like what what is he going to bring where he can be on the floor? In, like how does he get on the floor, Aaron, in the last 12 minutes of a game? He's getting on there now because, right, because he's they were one of their best players, and Norm, and Norm was out for a few even, games. Well, but even these last two games, yes, when they went because to the nothing else was working. Nurk, right. right, but not but he was. But, but he was playing better than anyone on the team. I know, in, but you in can't play. Games. You know, you can't play four guards against the Lakers and win. Like, who's going to guard LeBron? Well, like, it's, like, it's it's a it's a roster issue. Like they, they're they're redundant at the small guard, right? Which at position, this point, right. people want to blame management, whatever with with. Ant, it's not that. It's the guy that they drafted right. a long time ago in the right spot, probably, and now he's excelling. So that's the part where I just hope he doesn't get frustrated because if he does play 18 to 22 minutes and score 14 a game, the Blazers are going to be in really good shape, even if he's not playing the last you know four minutes of the game because he's right. helped them. If everyone else play, if you know, if Damian plays his way, CJ plays his way, Norm plays his way and he puts in 14 that means they don't lose anything when those guys rest and they're going to exactly. win they're going to win a lot more games i, I just exactly. it just stinks for you and your prediction that for your guy to be playing in the last 4 minutes of the game like something else has gone wrong <laughs> you know like <laughs> you know or there's an injury you know what i'm saying like but i i look i i've always thought that um the Anthony Simons pick was not one to say why because to me, the why on that one was easy. Like, because yeah, that, that guy one. could, that guy, and I don't know if he's ever going to get, you know, the floor being CJ, man, that's a high floor. Because I think, you know, CJ could be an all-star. Um, on a, on a, and if CJ was on a team that stunk, how many would he score? <laughs> like, he could score 30. I mean, you can't stop CJ right, from but, scoring. But remember, but remember CJ 
CJ came into the league at I'm looking this up 22. Yeah. And he he only yeah. started 3 games his first yeah. 2 years. Well, so yeah. it wasn't until he was 24 when he really got the opportunity and blossomed. Simons is only 22 and didn't play in college where CJ played 4 years. So at the age 22, Anthony Simons is light years ahead of where CJ was at age 22. I'm just yes, but Year right. one in I'm the saying. NBA is also matters because you know they because well, that's what they care it, about is it, how many years you've been in the NBA. I mean, it, I know it does, but at the same time, if one person's coming to the NBA with four years oh. of college experience and the other yeah. one's coming with zero, you're, you're going to be more mature, you're older, you're physically, you know, more ready, ready to take over and do the things you're able to do. But I just be, when you look at the shooting numbers where he's at, like right now, like I say, he's taking more twos this year than he than he ever has. He's at he's at four point six. Two point attempts, whereas last year is one point nine. He's shooting sixty two point two percent on those shots. Now that's not going to last, but still, it just shows his finishing ability and how he can create oh. and get his own shot anywhere. And he's just he's more so if he's shooting as well as CJ, okay, and he creates the repertoire that CJ has, which I believe he can, and he's quicker, faster, and more athletic. Then obviously, to me, the floor is CJ. So so here's where we differ. You're you're pumping up. Ant, which I'm fine no, with. No, I'm not. Disres- I feel you're How am I disrespecting CJ? CJ a little bit because I mean, that's, at age that's 30, he's you know, can score 25 now, a game. You, I'm, not, I'm not saying like, I'm not saying Ant is as good as CJ now, but but I'm not saying I'm not saying Ant is as uh, good as CJ now, but okay. but CJ's 30. I'm saying by in eight cool. within the next eight years, insult to CJ. I guess what I'm saying is if Ant ends up being not quite as good as CJ, but plays in the league for 12 years. No, I agree. I still think it was I a agree. really good pick, I'm and he's a really good player. You'll yeah. see. So I, I guess see. that's I, semantics a, li- a little. Well, you're we just almost screwing agree, it up. Aaron. You're we just almost screwing agree. it up. Like, just go like ahead and say, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just... I know. We both like the pick. We both like the play. I blame you. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about another guy. Another so Neil Olshay takes a lot of you know gr- uh, grief for you know some things that have gone wrong in the draft. The Zach Collins thing to me, whenever people bring up Zach Collins, I just want to smack him like, psh, psh, psh. what do you? How you can't? I never exactly. I've never Bad in luck. my life considered. Bad let's luck. go back. You and I are old enough to remember Kajana Carter. People call Kajana Carter one of the greatest busts ever. That guy blew out both yep. knees. <laughs> you know within the first. If that guy hadn't had the knee injuries, he was going to be a phenomenal running back because he was a phenomenal talent. Um, If a player is injured, it's not a bust pick to me. Zach Collins has never had the chance to fully develop. Now, was he ever going to be as good as Donovan Mitchell? No. Mo Bamba, maybe not. Those are people that some people blame the old shit for not taking those guys. But that's hindsight 2020. If anyone knew Donovan Mitchell was going to be the best or second best player in that draft, then he would have gone top three. He went 14-15 for a reason. And actually, Denver drafted him. And Denver, my Bulls GM, uh, us, whatever his name is, he traded him to Utah for two guys. I can't even remember their names right now. So everyone makes mistakes. But anyway, Zach Collins is not a bust. Honestly, if they would have... If the Blazers would have drafted people would have Mitchell freaked out. That spot, what are you doing? Then, we need a big exactly. Oh God, what are you exactly? What are you doing? We got I mean, there's some people who Damian. say that they like, call for Donovan. That's fine. It's yeah. a very small percentage. But anyway, but, but right, that's, you need, that's exactly. what I'm talking about. You need to get a little right. lucky. And, and you know what I mean? Like Utah got a little luck. But since then, Simons has worked out, and then Nasir Little is starting the show as a late pick, a guy who had injury issues and then COVID last year. He is starting to pan out. 
as the energizer bunny out there doing all the little things on, on defense and rebounding, et cetera, et cetera. One, one quick funny thing before I let you comment on him. Billups said during camp that, you know, let's work on playing hard and being aggressive, work on other stuff later. But, you know, he doesn't necessarily want Nasir or players like Nasir trying to be ISO guys or go one-on-one. And then there was a – I can't remember what game it was. He tried to go one-on-one. I think it was a, the Grizzlies game. He dribbled off his foot and went out of bounds. And then there was another time he tried to jack up a three too early and it was a brick. But it was just speaking to Billups' point that don't try and be a star and do star-like things. Just be, you know, cliche, but that glue guy who plays hard, gives us defense, gives us energy, gets offensive rebounds. And so far he's given them that. Yeah, and I think that's a a difficult thing for players to figure out when you're Nasir Little and you were when he was in right. high school. They talked about him being like a number one overall pick. You know what I mean? He was right. a huge recruit when he went, and then he went to North Carolina. You know, what I mean, like this is a guy. I I, I will give you a quick story. I covered the mm-hmm. NBDL, the G League before, <laughs> and I covered the North Charleston Low Gators. What's uh, that? The Low Gators, that's right, because it's a low South Carolina that the Charleston area is the Low Country, so they called them the Low Gators. Gators. It was terrible. Don't get me wrong; it's a bad (laughs) name. But Ime Udoka was on that team, and I remember talking. So Alex English was the coach one year, and then another guy. I can't remember Doug's last name. Doug Henry, maybe. But anyway, they had a guy. I think it's. Name was Pierce or something like that okay. on the Low Gators. He was averaging like 25 a game. He was averaging like 25 a game. Ime Odoka was averaging like nine and six. And Ime got called up. And I remember I was young then. I was in my 20s and I was still like, I know everything about <laughs> basketball. I sat the bench on an NCAA team. I know everything, you know. And, uh, you had a ring. Look at my I ring. Rotations fool. and I knew what people were doing. I, I, Look at my ring. Look at my ring. But anyway, I remember saying, like, why would Pierce not get called up? And uh, the coach said, well, you know, in the NBA, teams like the Lakers, they got guys like Kobe. (laughs) They don't need guys to score 25 on that part of the – like, that's – that elite talent, the scoring elite talent has already been taken care of. What they need is guys that are going to come in and play eight minutes – play that role and do what they need them to do. And Ime Udoka was that guy who ended up playing in the NBA for like a decade, figuring out roles where sometimes he'd play no minutes, sometimes he'd start. They essentially needed a professional role player, not a chucker. So I just always remember. (laughs) I'm just saying like, so, but it's not, so the best players overall don't always make it to the NBA as far as if you went to, you know, I grew up in New York, we go to Rucker, you see, you know, Rucker Park guys scoring or New Jersey. I went to the Jersey Shore Basketball League and there'd be guys scoring 40 against Rod Strickland. And I'd be like, why aren't they in the league? And it was because that's... They weren't that polished. They weren't, un- was, they, 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 weren't they weren't polished. Kobe's. They weren't as they good were as probably undisciplined defensively, fundamentally. They weren't going to guard right. anybody. But they, they weren't going to guard. Which is probably, you know, in the planet park. Yeah. Right. They weren't going to set the screen. They were going to right. do exactly what Nasir Little did in that first time when he tried to go one-on-one. And obviously Nasir has figured it out that, okay, to play in this league, I'm not going right. to be right. an all-star tomorrow. Like, I just can't. So if I'm going to get on the court, I have to be the player that works harder than everyone, goes at, in my eight minutes, I know I can exert more energy than the guy who's got to play 38 minutes. 
So I'm going to go get it and I'm going to guard. And if I can't guard him, I'm going to foul the heck out of him so that he knows he can't just go by me. Um, so I think that it's not an easy thing for players to learn. And it's not an easy thing for players to coach. I mean, for coaches to coach, to get guys to say, Hey, I know you were like a number one recruit a few years ago, but in this league, you're going to play eight to 14 minutes for me. And if you don't play them the way I want you to do, you're going to play zero. And, uh, and look, some guys take that role and they grow and keep going, you know, and they can end up being starters and even all-stars. But in general, that's why when people say like, why is that guy being in the league for 12 years and he plays like no minutes? And there's these guys I see coming out of college that are so dynamic and score 70 points yeah. and they got cut. Well, that's why, because only five guys play at once. And Nasir Little, 100%, I think, has absolutely. figured that out. Everyone was raving about him during camp and about all the little things he was doing and the energy and hustle he was bringing. And it's paid off and, he, and he's playing. And, and, and he's noticeable when he's out there. Like, one of the things that bothers me about today's NBA is that it seems like 80% of rebounds are uncontested. Like a team jacks a three and then everyone just runs back down court, right? And so give it up. when you watch a game and Nasir's out there and all of a sudden Nasir comes flying in and grabs the rebound, you're like, whoa, you don't see that very much anymore. But he's bringing that energy. He gets out on the break. It's, it's, it's fun to watch guys like that, especially in a league now where there's such an emphasis on shooting threes and defense is sometimes optional. He's almost like, you know, I hate to use the name, but I'll use it anyway. He's almost like a modern day version of Rodman on this team, but with more athletic skills. It's, oh, it's like, I'm, I'm not saying I was like, don't level, do it. Don't do it. He does similar things. You know what I'm saying? No. Like a poor man's Rodman. Yeah, no. And he, he doesn't, he can change the game, yeah. especially at home games. Because at home games, that energy Fans can change it, the yeah. entire rhythm of the arena. And, and then other players feel that energy and suddenly, oh, okay, I'll go for it. Because the key is every guy can go for the rebound and not right. get it. But then they got to really run <laughs> fast to get back on D. And not everyone wants to do that over and over again for 40 minutes. And that's the perfect example of when you know you're going to play 18 to 15 minutes, you say, I got it. Right. I'll miss. If I don't get it, I'll sprint, you know, and I'll get back. I mean, LaMarcus used to be – and, you know, he's still in the league, but LaMarcus Aldridge used to – I loved watching. That was one thing he did really well. He got a lot of offensive rebounds, but he always, you know, ch- you know, got back, you know, with that hustle because he could run. What did you think of all the the drama surrounding Dame and what was going to happen? My, my my feeling the whole time was like he's not going anywhere. I, I don't know how many times I tweeted he's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. And people were freaking out. Oh my god, he's going to leave. He's going to leave. And then of course he reemphasized his commitment to Portland a couple of times now. Uh, but what you what what were you thinking the whole summer? Like were you on the edge of your seat waiting to see what's going to happen or were you just like not paying attention to it or you just found it just, you know, typical NBA, you know, melodrama that happens every summer. The NBA, the NBA has done a really good job of allowing melodrama to dominate the off season. And it, it, it's part of the brand now. Anyway, what'd you sort of think? Yeah, I thought there was nothing wrong with any of it. Like all I thought was Damon Lillard said what you'd want him to say. I want to win a championship. And if everyone's not with me on that, then I might want to change the scenery. And all to me, it I don't think I'm saying anything crazy when I say it was up to the Blazers to convince them that they agreed and that they were with them. And sometimes things just don't work out. I mean, you mentioned, you know, they drafted a guy to start at four or five in a lottery position that could have changed the entire dynamic of their lineup. You put a seven footer who could shoot the three like Zach on that team and he's healthy for two seasons. I mean, what are they coming back with with Zach Collins in that spot? Like, 
oh, look, could Zach have been an all-star? I don't know, but I know he was going to be a starter just from what I saw. And, you know, that if he was just giving them 12 and eight and good defense and, and, you know, shooting 35% from three, a couple of games, that would have changed everything last season. And I think, and, and his defense, defense at the rim. I mean, that changes games. And look, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to give you eight. If that guy played 30 minutes, he's going to get you 12 rebounds. Like he just, you're that big and that athletic and he played hard. So I think there was some of that to say, Hey Dame, like, we're with you. What what do you think we can do? And then explaining some things. It's really hard. Look, Damien's contract is what it is. Like that's the other part of it. To be honest, I was like, how you? The Simmons thing was the only thing that was even an option because you have to trade thirty thirty to fifty million dollars for thirty to fifty million dollars. Like he's he's a high. He's got forty three now. You know, like he's, he's it. A, he got twelve. He got twelve million dollar raise. Damian Lillard. Yes, so when you're in the yeah. super. Right. I'm just saying like super max is hard to just go to give up. So I don't, I, I thought that, and he had a lot of years on his contract, like Simmons has now done it, but it's kind of unprecedented for a guy with multiple years. Like we haven't seen Car- when Carmelo did it with a year and change left, yeah. people went nuts. Remember that? Like, and I always would say, and look, I've always been a mellow defender, even pre Blazers stuff. Um, I hated the talk that, I'm not, look, I didn't love him on the Knicks, but I hated the talk that he couldn't win. I'm like, guy won a national title by himself. So uh, he's won Olympic gold medals. You want to go resume to resume with winners. I don't want to, I don't want, you don't want to do that with some players in the NBA that you think are winners if you're just basing on resume. But like he gave them time to trade him. You know, the Nuggets, they didn't get nothing. You know, they got stuff. So, um, but multiple years left on a super max contract. That was gonna. I was like, that's going to take some real, real, real giving up. You know, like the Blazers would have to be convinced that Damian Lillard was going right. to step on the court and or not yeah. step on the court. And yeah. I knew Damian Lillard. Well, yeah, that, when, that, you remember that report? You know? that, I can't remember. So, yeah, and, right, I, and I had no. Dame might be willing to forego checks to hold, you know, hold out basically to force the hand. Uh-huh. What, which is illegal. Well, he was going to sit out like, like Ben Simmons is doing. The, the insinuation was that he would sit out and not get paid in order to force his way out. That's how I read it. And of course, Dame mocked it on Twitter. Like now they're saying I'm giving up paychecks. And then CJ came over the top with, you know, there's no way that's right. <laughs> could just, and, and, and it could have been just his wife in the background saying, look, honey, you ain't giving up the paychecks. <laughs> look, Damon's never been shy about the fact that he's a, he's an entrepreneur yeah. and he's a, he wants money. Like he's wants to make as much money as capitalist. possible. Like he's not. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, but there were other talk about saying that he would take less money to play other places. I'm like, yeah, that's not legal. It's not how it works. The NBA Players Association doesn't let you ta- say, okay, I signed that deal for the max. I'll take yeah, less. Well, I, I'm, I'm going like, to rip up the contract and take less. No, that's not. Yeah. Which, well, it doesn't, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't, I did not. I didn't think, I thought every time, I understood why fan base was upset that their best player was upset and it, and voicing that he might not want to finish right. here. I never thought that that would affect at least the beginning of this season. You know, I just didn't think that there was any potential uh, that the Blazers would trade him, that a trade would, um, would, you know, come about that would work. Um, and I think that it was funny because I said, well, if they do trade Damon, he kind of proves them right. <laughs> like he says, I want to, I want to play at a place that wants to win a championship. Like you trade Damon Lillard. 
you're not gonna you're kind of saying we're not gonna do that so um yeah i wasn't super freaked out about it or freaked out about his language because knowing damien and covering him i think it's great it's great that he just he says look we just lost to a team that we should be better than and if we can't beat them and we we need to do something about it and you know changing coaching is a big deal i mean it's that's a major step. it was my understanding that part I, I, I was told this by a couple of sources that part of his initial angst too had to do with the fact that there was no assurances that Powell was going to come back. So I think having given up Trent, if Powell doesn't come back, you still don't have cap space to do much. You would have had a mid-level. Wow, we're going to be worse. And then when Powell came back, that eased some of the pressure because at least, okay, they kept Powell. But then they go out in free agency with no money really. And they try and get, you know, they try to get Nick Batum. And Batum took less money to stay in LA than to come to Portland. What you going to And do? then they were talking to Ubre. Damon said he talked to Ubre. And Ubre was interested. But then Charlotte offers 14, 13, 14 million a year, which you didn't have. Like you were going they, they would have used the mid level on Ubre. Uh, but they, you know, Ubre got twice as much. So what, so what are you going to do? So I think Dame sort of saw, like, yeah, I mean, other than trading CJ for somebody, and it has to be the right person. Now there was a ridiculous report out that the Blaze, like I, I, even, I even DM the guy, and I'm like, this didn't happen because he he claimed that the Blazers backed out of a CJ for Siakam offer, and then the guy said in the DM to me, he goes, "Well, I, I kind of just put it out there, like it wasn't totally hundred percent serious." I'm thinking, no, you didn't. You got Blazer fans were free. <laughs> Blazer people in the Blazer media around here were talking about it. And bashing Olshay about it. Well, if a guy if a guy reports it, you but gotta he, report but it. But he too, barely you know? report like it was a half ass report. It wasn't a report. It was like I kind of heard this thing. You know, reporting is there's breaking news, this happened, and then there's oh, yeah. I just kinda thought I heard something. Dame saw that, you know, the landscape is tough. He loves CJ. Yeah. The CJ trade would have to be the right move. Siakam, I think, would have happened. That was never a thing. Ben Simmons, I think they're kinda like, eh, we don't know because we don't know about Ben Simmons' attitude. But let, big big picture for me, they're going to have to make a trade if they're ever going to con- contend because it's going to be really hard to contend when your best three players are small guards and now maybe your fourth best player is also a small guard. Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, anyone would say there's going to be no moves on, you know, for this team to, to get better. And I think the closer you are, I think the better this team is this year or in the offseason – the more likely is you're going to get another, get a trade because then it's worth taking a little bit of a risk somewhere. I mean, you don't want to trade Anthony Simons. I know you don't. An- but you keep calling Anthony. Like, Anthony. 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 I'm it's sorry. Okay. I know it's Anthony. I know, I know you know. He's An- hey, go ahead. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. You're going to have to edit all the mistakes <laughs> you only out. Did, you only sorry, did it twice. Anthony. I let it slide the first time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but I'm saying like, like maybe you have to trade him to get, Oh better. no! I, I don't know, but I also. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like at some point, you need a guy who's six eight. Look, I I think the Larry Nance deal was oh, great. Was. I lo- I love Larry so smart, Nance Jr. Yeah. I think, and and he's already getting better every game. You see this stuff. I mean, I saw a little thing where he and Nurk clearly had a miscommunication, yeah. and he said something to Nurk, you know, and that's the kind of thing. Like Larry Nance Jr. will say that he's like. Do you know who my dad was? I'm not scared of you. <laughs> my dad will dunk my dad on your dad. Two basketballs at once. <laughs> you know, like he, my dad was, my dad never smiled on the court. Like he's not going to be scared to say, you know, and he knows how to play basketball, right. you know? And so I, I think that's as good a move as they could have made for that 
for that role. Um, and he's a pro and he's fits in well, I think with any team, but certainly with this team. So yeah, I think that, I think once we get to, especially when we're at 40 games, like mid season, I think we'll have to, we'll find out where we're going to go this year. And could it be a step back? I mean, there's so many teams, I think, you know, four through 12 in the West that you're like, Hey, I don't know. You know, did we know Phoenix was going to make that huge jump last year? I don't think anyone thought I knew they were going to be better, but if you would ask me, is is it going to be Utah or Phoenix that jumps, you know, to the finals? I would have picked, if you were going to pick, I would have gone Utah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so it, it happened. Look, the Knicks, that was, that's a, uh, last year's jump was a lot greater than most people thought. You know what I mean? And now I think that's a team that could backslide and still have a good year. So the NBA, it's a, it's a weird place in the middle, in the middle. You know what I mean? Like, and five guys on the court at once, I would say basketball is different than any other sport. Five guys on the court at once. That means you get one that takes a huge jump like a Julius Randle does in one year. Suddenly your entire franchise goes, oh, <laughs> you know, like Damian Lillard changed things for the Blazers, you know? I mean, he was a, a lottery pick and obviously that was a great pick, but we, most people didn't know a guy out of Weber state was going to be a top 75 player in NBA history. Right. You know, so things, things change quickly. Um, and it doesn't always come in the top five, you know, some of those top five guys end up stinking and you, we talk about the Mitchells and saying, Oh, look at that. I mean, come on. There's a guy in the Mavs that like we heard about, but did you know he was going to change the game? You know, oh, what I Luca? mean, like, there's a yeah, like that's crazy how quick Przingis is on that team and he's an afterthought. When the Knicks picked him, it was supposed to change their franchise. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's a the NBA it's is crazy because it just takes it's wild. It takes one guy, and in the NFL, it can happen, but only at one position. You know, the quarterback can change your franchise, but you know. You got too many guys. You pick up the best offensive lineman in the world. You don't go from, you know, worst to first. Right. <laughs> the NBA, you can, you know what I'm saying? 100%. Like it just can happen so quickly. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool, Craig. Thanks for coming on, man. That was fun. Uh, we only got into two. Yeah, arguments. just us talking is fun. I don't know if anyone wants to listen to this garbage, <laughs> but we, we have fun, That's right? right? That's all that matters. Uh, yeah, so when's your first game? Uh, it'll be uh, next Wednesday, Phoenix Suns. So I'm hoping, uh, I'm hope, I'm, I'm I'm hoping I'll I'll change the momentum a little bit. Road game stuff. <laughs> That's right. You know, I want to be undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I thank my guest, Craig Bernbach, for jumping in here with me. And I'll have him on again this year, I'm sure. Uh, you have a good time with your first time dealing with the Blazers. That'll be fun. I'll look forward to checking it out. Although I'll be on the road, so I guess I'll miss it. But I'll record it just so I can come home and watch it and critique. <laughs> or right, or at least lie and say you recorded and still critique. <laughs> exactly. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. All right, Aaron. All right, thanks, Greg.